from Edinburgh, Radio Napier News. Hello and welcome to EN4 Radio News. I'm Sean Gallagher. And I am Jessica Stark. It's great to have you with us. The time is currently 3.30. Here are your headlines. With Grange Routes Refineries closure, we hear from a climate scientist about the switch to net zero. A report by the Scottish Government has revealed a rise in violence against teachers. And the 20th year of Movember is concluding, a movement that is changing the face of men's mental health worldwide. But first, a roundup of today's news. The truce between Israel and Hamas has been extended by another day after a last-minute agreement for the release of more hostages and Palestinian prisoners. Despite the extension of the truce, Israeli forces have been inflicting heavy destruction to Palestinian streets and properties with bulldozers in Tulkarm City. And at least three people were killed in a shooting attack at a bus station in Jerusalem, according to Israeli forces. I came to know America as a beacon of hope for the oppressed. Former US Secretary of State Henry Kissinger has died at the age of 100. He played a polarizing role in the foreign policy during the Cold War. The German-born former diplomat died at his home in Connecticut. Despite leaving office in the mid-1970s, he continued to inspire generations of leaders for decades. And the UK is to send a second warship to the Gulf in response to rising tensions in the Middle East. The Type 45 destroyer HMS Diamond is en route to join frigate HMS Lancaster, which has been stationed in the Gulf since last year. It is there alongside three Royal Navy mine hunters. Defence Secretary Grant Shapps said it would send a clear message to Iran and its proxies. The Defence Secretary also announced a UK-led task force is soon to begin patrols from the English Channel to the Baltic to protect Europe's critical undersea cables. Former Hess Secretary Matt Hancock has been undergoing a COVID-19 inquiry today, responding to a raft of criticism against him by ex-Number 10 staff. His evidence is expected to take all of Thursday's sitting hours following the criticism made against him by a number of other witnesses. In one witness statement, he was accused of lying his way through the pandemic. My single greatest regret with hindsight was not um, pushing on this harder um, and ultimately not overruling the formal scientific advice that I was uh, receiving. Rail workers have voted to accept a new pay deal, ending their involvement in a long-running series of strikes. This backdated pay rise of 5% and job security means that RMT members will no longer be involved in industrial action until at least the spring of next year. However, while workers such as train guards and signalling staff will not strike in the coming months, a pay rise for the current financial year is still to be agreed and is dependent on changes to working practices. It was Christmas Eve, babe, in the drunk time. Iconic Pogues lead singer Shane McGowan has died at the age of 65 following a long career of accomplishments in the music industry. The songwriter who sang the Christmas classic Fairy Tale of New York had recently left hospital after a bout of illness. McGowan had been suffering from severe health problems in recent months and has been confined to a wheelchair since 2015 after breaking his pelvis. As COP28 begins in the UAE, an environmental protest took place at Scottish Parliament against the proposed expansion of the Peterhead gas burning station. 
Tommy Honduras reports. As First Minister Hamza Yousaf prepares to take part in COP28 today in Dubai, amongst other world leaders, campaigners are warning him of a potential climate disaster much closer to home. The Scottish Government are considering an application from energy giants SSE and Equinor to build a new gas-burning power station at Peterhead, in addition to the existing gas plant. This morning, activists from the climate campaign group Friends of the Earth gathered at the Scottish Parliament building to protest against the planned expansion. Alex Lee was one of the attendees. The existing power station is the single biggest polluter in Scotland and it has been for five years now. The justification is unclear. Mostly what it looks like is big polluters trying to cling on to burning fossil fuels. We know we need to be moving to renewables. We know we need to put the funding in place to technologies that we know work. This is a last gas attempt by polluters to keep burning fossil fuels. The criticism wasn't just reserved for the corporations, as Alex also mentioned the scale of Hamza Yousaf and the rest of the Scottish government's failed promises. The Scottish Government has missed eight out of its last 12 climate targets. It's already way behind in ambition. What we need to see is real action. And what this looks like is saying no to new infrastructure. It would be madness to come back and approve this. So if he's to stand up and say he's a climate leader, this would be incorrect. We need to see decisive action and a phase out and a clear no from the First Minister on this project. As of yet, there is no planned date for the potential approval of the project by those in Holyrood. Tommy Hondros, EN4 News, Edinburgh. And we're actually joined by Tommy in the studio just now. So, Tommy, what is the SSE's justification for building another one of these plants, especially when the first one is already known as one of the biggest polluters in the country? Yeah, it is known as one of the biggest polluters in the country. In fact, last year alone, 2022, it belched out over 1.35 million tonnes of carbon dioxide SSE, who actually made £565 million in profits in the last six months, uh, they were forced to admit in planning application documents that the two plants would run at the same time and could increase total climate emissions from the site. Uh, I have a statement from SSE here. They say that the new plant, which would connect into the wider infrastructure being developed by the UK government, will ultimately replace the existing station, which we have already said we don't foresee running unabated beyond the end of this decade. This will deliver huge emissions reductions and the reality is the project will not proceed unless it can capture at least 90% of emissions. So, according to SSE, it's a good thing in the long run. And you mentioned COP28 there a few seconds ago, and that began today in Dubai. Are there any developments there that you can tell us about? Yeah, so it did begin today in Dubai. They've committed money uh, to a historic fund for areas suffering the effects of global warming. The Loss and Damage Fund, which was actually agreed last year in Egypt, it can now start handing out money. The host country, the UAE, has pledged 79 million, the UK 60 million and the US just 13.8 million. The UN chief said that we are living through climate collapse in real time and he confirmed that 2023 will be the hottest year on record. It's been a lot of controversy leading up to the summit. Uh, obviously, the UAE is hosting the summit and it's one of the world's top oil producing nations. Uh, and the head, the person overseeing the summit is Sultan Al-Jaber, who is actually the head of the state oil company. So a bit of a conflict of interest there. Yeah, that's some alarming information. But thank you very much for joining us in the studio, Tommy. Thank you, Tommy. As world leaders gather at top COP28, the transition to net zero is at the top of the agenda. Back in Scotland, the green transition has also been a prominent issue this week after a landmark announcement by the owners of Grangemouth Refinery. 
Andrew Watson reports. The petrol Ineos announcement last week that Scotland's only oil and gas refinery will close in 2025 came as a shock for many in Grangemouth, with 500 jobs potentially on the line. The Scottish Government had already begun drafting plans to close the facility, but these plans were yet to be finalised. As part of the Climate Change Act, the Government has committed to a just transition, which will ensure workers and communities benefit from the transition to net zero. Professor Dave Ray, Director of the Edinburgh Climate Change Institute and Co-Chair of the Just Transition Commission, says the Grangemouth announcement runs directly counter to a just transition. If I was at COP at the moment, I'm not, I'm here in Scotland, but I would be saying, do you want to see an example of, of non-just transition announcements? Then I would use the, the one we've just had from Grangemouth. Petrol Ineos did not consult local politicians, the community or trade unions prior to announcing the closure, an approach which has drawn widespread criticism. Experts point to examples in Europe where just transition plans have seen success. The scars we've got from coal and steel actually across the country are still there and so you would hope we would learn from that because of the, the scarring and damage it's done. The Ruhr Valley in Germany is quite a good example where they they transitioned away from their coal mining industry, but they did it in a way which was uh, consultative, properly consultative. So not just saying, well, this is what we're doing and we've told you, um, but actually involving the workers, the unions, the communities. Union leaders have also commented on the announcement. Unite General Secretary Sharon Graham said in a statement, this proposal clearly raises concerns for the livelihoods of our members, but also poses major questions over energy supply and security going forward. Unite will leave no stone unturned in the fight for jobs and will hold politicians to account for their actions. With the expected closure 18 months away, time still remains to ensure a just transition. With Grangemouth, there's still the opportunity to do that. What will happen in Grangemouth over the next five, ten years should be a global exemplar, actually, of how you deliver a just transition. But that means actually really good engagement with those affected and that, that co-creation of the solutions. Andrew Watson, Ian 4 News. Violence against teachers in Scottish schools is on the rise. A new report by the Scottish Government has found that more than two-thirds of teachers have experienced physical aggression by pupils. Hugh Sloan reports. 67% of teaching staff in Scotland have experienced physical aggression by pupils, according to a new report commissioned by the Scottish Government. The report has found that pupils persistently infringe upon the rules, making cheeky or impertinent remarks, engaging in general rowdiness, mucking about and deliberately excluding others. The number of pupils using their phones abusively has also risen since 2016. The Edinburgh Local Association President of the EIS, Phil Pearce, believes that although this had been on the rise before the pandemic, that the result of the coronavirus lockdowns has exacerbated this issue. As well as physical aggression, Mr Spears spoke of the verbal abuse that teachers face. Uh, the most sort of common types of uh, aggression and violence that teachers are, are experiencing is effectively verbal threats and in intimidating and obscene language. Um, but very, very closely behind that is actual uh, physical violence. Head teacher Jaden Monroe spoke of the factors contributing to the rise in physical and verbal abuse among pupils. It's much worse than they think. 
because um, I know that most of the financiers in here don't get reported. Um, but I think it's to do with a couple of things. One, I think the, the, the lockdowns had a, a significant impact on our younger pupils in particular, and they don't know how to behave. I think the cuts by central government that have been passed on local government means that staffing is hit all the time. Uh, the level of need is increasing all the time, and the level of staffing is going down all the time. And that is having an absolute detrimental impact on supporting these young people with trauma. And we're unable to do it. The effects of the aggression on teachers has already been seen in local authorities across the country, with Dundee City Council facing the worst level of staff attendance in Scotland. It is yet to be seen whether this report will bring a meaningful change as teaching staff have yet to see a framework as how to tackle this issue. Teaching has faced many uncertainties over the last few years, from the pandemic to strikes and now this. The impact of this issue has been seen across the country and will cause further disruptions to learning should something not be done. Hugh Sloan, Ian Fournews. We have our political correspondent, Nicole Novu, joining us to discuss the First Minister's questions today. What can you tell us about the debate in the Chamber this morning? Well, thank you for having me. Shona Robinson began the debate by addressing the death of Lord James Douglas Hamilton, ex-Conservative Minister. The row over Michael Matheson's government money usage was set to prevail again in Parliament. However, Robinson took over to say that she believed that there was more pressing issues such as the cost of living crisis as well as the autumn statement that should be focused on. Robinson went on to state that she believes the continuation of this matter was to act as a deflection for Douglas Ross to simply not address the autumn statement, which saw massive cuts to the NHS budget. You say there the autumn statement and the NHS cuts. Um, was there anything else mentioned about the autumn statement today or the NHS in the First Minister's questions? Well, Anna Sauer took the debate in an unexpected way and brought out statistics from an FOI request showing that over 24,000 people had died while being on the NHS wait list this year. Tens of thousands are waiting for crucial diagnostic tests, including cancer. And waiting lists are now the longest they have ever been. Shona Robinson echoes the concerns and agreed that the wait to be seen is extensive, but reassured that the £1 billion from the NHS recovery plan after COVID was being used. However, she did take the time to remind constituents of the lack of funding for next year. Of course, none of this is made easier by the complete lack of funding from the UK Tory government in next year's NHS requirements. Now, it seems like this is a common theme for the First Minister's questions. How did the rest of the debate then follow on? Well, Douglas Ross did press on about Michael Matheson's spending. However, the debate went on fairly regularly following their questions. Robinson addressed ways that the government will progress in the winter months and it can be predicted that the NHS budget and the waitlist issue will progress in the next couple of weeks. Thank you for joining us, Nicole. You're listening to EN4 News, a reminder of today's top stories. A Scottish government report has found an increase in violence against schoolteachers. Grangemouth Refinery's closure has caused concern amongst climate scientists regarding the transition to net zero. And still to come, we take a look at Bucky Thistle's upcoming Scottish Cup tie with Celtic. We'll have the rest of today's sports headlines. And we say goodbye to the pandas at Edinburgh Zoo. 
We are in the midst of the United Nations Women's 16 Days of Activism Against Gender-Based Violence this year. This campaign has a particular relevance due to the murder of Italian student Giulia Chetin, as Federica Margarella reports. Mi sento in una situazione in cui, appunto, vorrei che sparisse, vorrei non avere più contatto. I find myself in a situation where I wish he would disappear. I prefer not to have any contact with him. But he tells me things like he's extremely depressed, stopped eating, spends his days staring at the ceiling, thinks only about killing himself and wants to die. I don't necessarily think he's saying these things to manipulate me, but they sound a lot like threats. These are the chilling words of the Italian student Giulia Cecchettin, sent in an audio message to her friend just over a month before being stabbed to death and thrown in a ditch by her former boyfriend. These are the words that resonate with the women around the world trapped in toxic relationships. Sue Waddington, gender-based violence service manager at Scottish organization SACRO, discusses the guilt that women feel when opening up. The discussion is still placing blame on women for the abuse. Why did she stay with him? Why didn't she leave? If you've got somebody telling you it's your fault, you've made this happen because... You will start to believe that and you try and change, you start changing your own behaviour. For the past two weeks, the brutal murder of Giulia has shaken Italy's conscience to its core. This has pushed people to confront the social plague of gender violence. Thousands take on the streets of Italy to protest the patriarchal system currently in place, which is happening during the set 16-day period dedicated to activism against gender violence. The charity White Ribbon Scotland believed that further educating men is the first step in the right direction. Rebecca Chung, project liaison officer at the charity, believes that involving men in the conversation can change the status quo. Um, if they're hearing their friends maybe saying like a rape joke or a sexist comment or something like that, it's just taking them to one side and being like that, just that it's not suitable. It's um, it, you have to be careful with what you say. People think that we've progressed in such a way that physical and sexual assault is that we know exactly what it is and we make sure that those who commit it are convicted. But it's just not the case. According to the Scottish government, between 2020 and 2021, there have been over 65,000 domestic abuse incidents recorded by Police Scotland. Around four or five cases involved a female and a male accused. The case of Giulia Cecchettin is steering Italy's outrage, but it does not stand alone as issues rise on an international scale and here in Scotland. Federica Margarella, N4 News, Edinburgh. Literature is at the very core of Edinburgh's charm, and for one storytelling duo, it offers them the platform to tell their story. Their most recent storytelling endeavour, From Jordan with Love, will see the pair take to the Scottish Storytelling Centre for tales of travel and traditions. Holly Southwick reports. Edinburgh has a long and rich history in literature, often being referred to as the literature capital. Thanks to the presence of many prominent literary legends, it has well established itself as a hub for storytelling. This evening, for one night, storytelling duo Janice and Douglas Mackay will host a storytelling event at the Scottish Storytelling Centre. Revisiting their time in Jordan, they will be telling stories of culture, history and hospitality. This year I was slightly randomly invited to go to Jordan in the Middle East as part of a storytelling gathering, a festival. It was just a really touching experience and we got to experience the culture, the hospitality, the warmth of people. 
And when we came back, we thought, okay, that was such a kind of formative experience. That was such a significant experience. We need to at least do a storytelling show. Partly it's to share of our experience of our trip there, maybe as a thank you, you know, a way of showing gratitude for our experience. Then recently things erupted in Gaza and Israel. And we thought, okay, if we're going to do this event, it makes sense to at least raise money for aid for that part of the world. Storytelling has long been an integral part of Edinburgh's culture. It is a testament to the importance of creativity and individuality in the capital. The Scottish Storytelling Centre was opened 17 years ago and is a hub for both local and international storytellers to share their stories. Edinburgh is the first uh, UNESCO city of literature. From that point, Edinburgh really is recognised as a leading city of literature. I'm very lucky to have the Scottish Storytelling Centre right in the heart of Edinburgh on the high street, which is, you know, the world's first purpose-built centre for this live art form of storytelling. To have our our roots in Edinburgh as a city of literature, um, you know, the first city of literature, it's, it's all very, very fitting. Literature in Edinburgh is a long-standing tradition and with events such as From Jordan With Love, it's showing no inclination of declining anytime soon. Holly Southwick, Ian for News, Edinburgh. If you've seen more moustaches than usual this month, well, there's a good reason for it. Men's mental health and cancer charities are benefiting. Joe Bell explains why the tash is back in fashion. As we rip off another month from the calendar, it has added significance for those raising money for a prominent men's health charity. The end of November also means the end of Movember. A few of the boys have uh, cut their hair, dyed their hair. There's been a numerous... Uh, things done to raise awareness and money for the cause. Men's mental health is something that's kept very much in the shadows, certainly in the past and I think in the future needs to be talked about more often. We're starting to kind of step into the light with the whole topic in general. Donald Watt plays for Edinburgh Napier's rugby team, who take part every Movember. This year they raised a whopping £4,000, with the money going towards men's mental health charities. Crouch! Yes. We're all here for each other. We're all here. Um, people need just need to speak up. Uh, rugby, we would say, we'd grab a shirt, you know, speak to your close guys. The team takes part in Movember to encourage conversation around men's mental health following the deaths of two teammates in recent years. Gary Goldie from Brothers in Arms explains how their charity encourages men to speak up. You know, specifically in Scotland, there's a spectrum of help in terms of struggling with your mental health. And where Brothers in Arms sits, I believe, is at the very very beginning of that spectrum. You can download the Brothers in Arms app and you can access free counselling services and have therapeutic interaction without having to tell anyone. It's been 20 years of changing the face of men's health and it just keeps growing. Joe Bell, EN4 News. Yeah, the moustaches really have came back in fashion. Like 10 years ago, it was kind of odd to see people cutting about with moustaches. But now everyone seems to have them. Movember's really brought them back. I've seen a few attempts, yeah? Yeah. Next, Scottish football clubs are back in action on the European stage tonight. Here is the latest sport with Callum McCauley. Rangers will qualify for the knockout stage of the Europa League if they beat Aris Limassol at Ibrox. They suffered a shock defeat to Aris in Cyprus just days after Michael Beale was sacked as manager. His replacement, Philip Clement, has yet to lose a match. 
I don't want that they think about that, about the last game, because it always can create some negativity in your head. And like this, we, we will make our, our story stronger and stronger the next couple of weeks, and for sure the next couple of months. And, and that's the normal way in a football club. Elsewhere in the Europa League, Liverpool face bottom side Lask. Manager Jurgen Klopp has called for the famous Anfield crowd to roll his side to victory. We have to make sure that this is a European night. That's what I, what I expect. The proper European night at, at Anfield. Really going for it. I mean, I have a team with fresh legs who will go for it, who will, wants to enjoy the game and will really fight for a result. And when, if Anfield wants to do, do that as well, that would be massively helpful. 1,500 Aberdeen fans have travelled from the frozen north to the even more frozen north, with the squad currently arriving at the Bolt Arena to face Helsinki. Both sides are already eliminated from the European Conference League. The Dons will be hopeful of getting their first win of the campaign, and the Red Army will need to wrap up warm with temperatures expected to drop as low as minus four. In the UK Snooker Championship, Ronnie O'Sullivan is up against Robert Milkins in the last 16. The pair are currently in a 5-5 stalemate and Scotland's John Higgins is currently playing Yulong Zhu with the Scotsman leading from 4-3. Thank you for joining us, Callum. The Scottish Cup never fails to surprise fans and with its obscure drawers and this was certainly the case on Sunday when Highland League side Bucky Thistle were paired with Champions League team Celtic. The Jags currently set 45 league places beneath their fourth round hosts but midfielder Jack McIver says they aren't letting this mismatch dampen their spirits as they seek to cause their very own cup upset in January. Carla Hallett reports. There were wild antics in the pub on Sunday night as Bucky Thistle celebrated being drawn against Celtic in the fourth round of the Scottish Cup. Like other Celtic fans on the squad, midfielder Jack McIver described the draw as a dream come true and how he felt when discovering he would be playing alongside Celtic superstars. And just the way it happened, you know, all of the boys were together on the Sunday night when the draw came out. I'm sure you saw the video. We, after the Broxman game, we went out uh, for the Christmas night out and then obviously stayed for Sunday as well. So probably one of the best weekends of my life <laughs> especially with the game the, the way the game happened scoring two late goals and winning on penalties was brilliant although cup fever has dominated the last few days McIver ensures that this will not distract the Jags from their priorities and title ambitions financial rewards are going to be huge for the club of um, course obviously getting the gate money and I don't know if it's going to be on TV yet but if it is then it's as an added bonus uh, I think Bucky are very good at you know promoting things as they are in a normal week so never mind playing Sally. As players and as a coaching staff, we can't really, you know, think about that side too much because we've got a league to focus on as well and games coming up every Saturday that we have to win because our aspirations are to, of course, win the league. With eight games to play before the green and white strips go head-to-head, it's understandable why the boys from Bucky want to remain focused before performing in a 60,000-capacity stadium. Carla Hallett, Ian for News. Edinburgh Zoo is saying goodbye to their popular giant pandas as they prepare to be flown back to China. Crowds have flocked to the zoo to see them one last time. Their departure has generated significant attention, as Nicole Bruce sorry, reports. We're here at Edinburgh Zoo today to see what the public think about the giant panda's final day. The pandas have been an amazing attraction and from their very first couple of months here they brought lots of fanfare with them, with fans from all over the UK coming to visit them. The pandas have brought an estimated £10,000 a month to the zoo, which goes towards all animals within the enclosures and their upkeep. 
Members of the public are obviously sad to see them go, but are happy to be able to say a final goodbye to the two pandas. I'm hoping to, you know, see them say the last goodbye. Say the last goodbye. goodbye yeah. You know. So they're still so cute. <laughs> I've travelled up from Portsmouth with my son. Um, it's, pandas are his favourite animal. We've not been before. Yeah, so we're really excited. Um, it's absolutely freezing here, but it's beautiful. It's absolutely lovely. We have travelled up from North Yorkshire down in England specifically to come see the giant pandas. We were told that they were going to be shipped off to China early December, so we've booked the last day in November to definitely come and see them. And we've just talked to the receptionist and it says it's it's reasonably quiet, so we're heading up that hill to go and see them. This is Nicole Bruce with EN4 News. I don't know about you, Jess, but whenever I've gone to that zoo, those pandas never want to come out for some reason, so I'm hoping they make appearances in their new home. I think they just didn't like our weather, to be honest with you. That makes sense. Can't fault them for that. This is Radio Energy Travel. There are the usual pre-rush hour queues on Edinburgh City Bypass with around a 10-minute travel time. There's also heavy traffic with one lane closed due to a collision on the M8 westbound at Junction 4A. Traffic is restricted and is beginning to build on approach, which is adding delays of up to 20 minutes onto journey times. In Kerstorfin, St John's Road is beginning to back up at Drumbray Roundabout heading out towards Maybury. Road users are also being warned to be cautious due to the slippery conditions across the city exacerbated by the nearby yellow snow warning. In terms of public transport, all Lothian buses and ScotRail services are running smoothly as of 4 o'clock. Now, the weather on Radio Energy. It's been cloudy across the east today with showers over Edinburgh, East Lothian and Eastern Borders. Members of the public are being advised to stay wrapped up as temperatures of 3 degrees Celsius are expected throughout the evening. Showers are expected to continue into the evening in parts of the east. Otherwise it will be dry with patchy clouds. Frost and fog are expected through the night with temperatures dipping to minus 2 degrees Celsius. Looking ahead to the weekend, sunny spells are expected but temperatures will continue to plummet with lows of minus 4, though Edinburgh will just miss the yellow snow warning which covers much of Scotland's east coast. And here is a reminder of today's headlines. Grangemouth Refinery's closure has put 500 jobs at risk, whilst climate activists remain sceptical of the impact on net zero. Scottish teachers are being subjected to an increase in violence within the classroom. And November is coming to an end, with men's mental health charities pleased at the impact of the annual fundraiser. And that's all from EN4 News. From us and the rest of the team, have a very good night. Good night. <laughs>